Welcome to the Investing Tutor Podcast, the show for professionals looking to master the most up-to-date strategies needed to build wealth and provide a stable financial future. Here's your host, Dr. Hans Boateng. Hello, everyone. Dr. Hans here. I'm going to wait a minute to have you all log in, or if I should say to have you all join I'm super excited for the discussion today because it's a very, very important topic. One that I feel is not often discussed. And today we get to dive in, talk about the wealth gap and what we can do to fix it. Interestingly, I discovered that for every one dollar that a white family has, if a black family has two cents in wealth. So I'm gonna repeat that again. In America, for every one dollar that a white family has, a black family has two cents. Another startling fact is that after the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, at that time, when slaves were freed, blacks owned 0.5% of the wealth in America. 150 years later, blacks own 2% of the wealth in America. White families have 57 times more money in the stock market. And if you look at things like real estate, business, stock market, 90% of the wealth in America that's in stocks are owned by white families. 91% of the wealth in businesses owned by white families. Why is that the case? And I don't share all of these facts to pick on a particular race. That's not the point. We're looking at how did we get here? And the reason for why we are at this point where you know minorities, people of color have barely moved as it relates to wealth and income is because of systemic discrimination. Harvard conducted a study. They surveyed 3 million people and they found out that 75% of the participants in this study had an anti-black bias. Another way to say that is if you extrapolate the data it shows that 75% of the population have a preference for whites over blacks. And how does, how does that impact all of the different factors we're going to be talking about in a few minutes? How does it impact housing? How does it impact education? How does it impact, impact income? How does it impact inheritance? It makes 
a big deal. So first, let's begin by talking about housing. Let's go back to after World War II. A GI Bill was in place to allow veterans to be able to own a home. White, white vets ended up getting those homes thanks to the GI Bill. Black vets that fought for America could not get their housing loans. And you might be wondering, why didn't they get the housing loans? It's because at that time, mortgage companies were, didn't want to lend to individuals who were purchasing property or purchasing real estate in predominantly black neighborhoods. This was known as redlining. So literally, a group of people took out the map of the US and drew out, or if I should say blocked out segments of the country where they refused to fund loans for home ownership. And as a result, you have vets, black vets, who couldn't get something that was promised to them at home to be able to build wealth. One of the startling facts that I discovered, which truly bothers me up until this day, is that if you take a suburb and you increase the percentage of blacks in that suburb, disproportionately, the value of the homes in that suburb begin, begin to decline. A study was conducted and they found out that in a suburb, if, it, if the population of people of color increase in the suburb by, by more than 7%, many of the white families begin to leave and they say things like, oh, we just want to, you know, to move to a more safer neighborhood. This is startling. How did we get here? How is it that the one thing that enables us to be able to build wealth, home ownership, how is it that certain groups of people have been blocked out in being able to access this opportunity? So now let's shift to education. America's education system thrives based on where you live. So, you know, your zip code, your school district, so if you had segregation some 60 years ago and you had individuals in particular schools and the, home, the homes in those neighborhoods are predominantly um, 
worth less than white neighborhoods. So as a result, those schools are receiving less in taxes, meaning that those students, those brown and brown students are getting, you know, an inferior form of education. It's like a cycle. Do you think white families are going to send their kids to those school districts? No, they would much rather move to suburbs and be able to tap into, you know, incredible schools. Ray Dalio, the wealthiest hedge fund manager in the world, stated that the top 40% of income earners, they spend five times more money on their children's education than the bottom 60%. Income. A very important topic. Friends, I was surprised to discover that a black college graduate, if you look at their wealth as compared to a white high school dropout, that black college graduate has less in wealth than a white high school dropout. If you look at the income of the average black family as compared to the average white family, in 1970, the average black family was earning $30,000 a year in income. The average white family was earning $50,000 a year in income. The most recent study, so this was done in 1970, adjusting for everything, okay? So we're just saying, we're taking two families. The average black family is earning 30K. The average white family is earning $50,000. Why? Two families. The only thing that's different between these two families is race. The most recent study that was conducted showed that the average black family now earns $50,000. Meanwhile, the average family bring in an income of $80,000. The last point of what has caused this wealth gap is inheritance. When you have white families being able to pass on property being able to pass on investments, being able to get life insurance. Friends, life insurance companies refused to insure black lives back then. They wouldn't allow blacks to own life insurance. I just want you to think about that for a moment. Other factors that exacerbate this wealth gap. The Center for Responsible Lending found out that blacks are 150 times or 150% more likely to be given a high interest loan than a white individual. In black communities, you find things like payday loans. In suburbs, you find things like 
you know, banks, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citibank. But in black neighborhoods, you, you find payday lenders charging upwards of 200% to 400% on loans. How have we as a country allowed this to continue? So we've discussed the causes, but I didn't come on here to share only causes. I didn't come on here to share only the problems. I want us to discuss solutions. I'm a very optimistic person. I came to the US when I got here, I was earning $6 an hour working in Bronx, New York in a children's department store. Fast forward 15 years later, I run my own business, been doing so for the past two and a half years. I don't report to any boss at any job. Invested, built a significant amount of equity in the stock market. My wife and I are blessed to own our, home, our own home. How have I, an individual who arrived in this country, how did I get here? It's because I hyper-focused on wealth building. And I want to share with you all how you can do the same. First and foremost, I want you to realize that a study was conducted and it shared that it would take the average black family 228 years to have an equivalent amount of wealth as a white family. So I want you to think about this as a race, okay? The wealth race. White families started the race 228 years ago, okay? Because that's the amount of time it will take uh, black and brown people to catch up. So white families started that race 228 years ago. We have been waiting at the starting line, you and I, We've been waiting at the starting line. We haven't started yet. That's what I want you to imagine. There's a race, okay? White families, white individuals started that race 228 years ago. Black and brown people are still at the starting line. They are waiting for someone to tell them, go. So that they can begin running to build wealth. Now, Think about what is happening right now. You have individuals like Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, and so many other financial experts telling you, the person who is 228 years waiting at the starting line, they are telling you that you are not allowed to begin running because you have more debt. So we live in a society that disproportionately discriminates against us. Black and brown people have two to three times more student loans and way more debt. And now we have people in the financial industry telling us, not that we're at the starting line and we have an opportunity to begin building wealth. We have these individuals telling us we are not allowed to start. Who the hell gave them that opportunity and that privilege to be able to tell you that you cannot begin building wealth? Who gave them that privilege? 
And why are people in the black and brown communities listening to this crap? Friends, you cannot keep sitting at the starting line. You already 228 years behind. You cannot afford to keep waiting for some person who has been building wealth for centuries to come and allow you to begin building wealth. What you want to do is pay yourself first, starting today. I want you to begin thinking about investing as a bill. It is a bill that you have to pay to secure the future generation. The same way that you pay your electric bill each month, the same way that you pay your water bill each month, the same way that you go to church and you make sure to pay your, your collections or your tithes or your offering, I want you to view investing as a bill that is due every single month to secure the next generation. You are not allowed to continue waiting at that starting line. You have to begin running. And friends, when you begin running, you better run like hell because you are 228 years behind. And when you begin to run, start to look at things like home ownership. Start to look at things like investing. Look at your company. Take advantage of that 401k. Take advantage of that 403b. Take advantage of that three savings plan. Look at things like life insurance. No more GoFundMe accounts. I have a $1 million life insurance policy. It costs me just $55 a month. You need life insurance, specifically term life insurance. Investment vehicles. 401k, 403b at your company's um, account, investment funds, ETFs or index funds, stocks. These investment vehicles are a requirement. You need to understand how money works. You can never have something that you don't understand. People just work for money. They don't know how it works. They don't know how to acquire wealth. You need to start educating yourself. You need to understand credit. Credit runs the U.S. economy. I like to say poor and middle class people are told to stay away from credit. They are told to not borrow money. Meanwhile, the rich and wealthy, they are raising capital. They are borrowing money at low interest rates and they are building a ton of wealth. Can I pass on the fact that I have no debt? Can I pass on the fact that I have zero debt to the next generation? Can I do that? Many people don't know that if something were to happen to you, God forbid, that credit card that you owe, if you have your money in a trust, they can't access it. So that credit card that you owe is gone. The federal student loan that you have, once you pass away, the debt is expunged. This is why you have to start building wealth.
The last thing that I want to share with you all is this. Stop being afraid of debt. You need to understand that debt is something that can be used. Okay. It's something that can be used. It's something that can be invested to make more money. It is in how you choose to use it. Are you borrowing money to go buy fancy things so that your friends and family can, can, you know, hype you up? Are you borrowing to go buy designer stuff or things so that people can, can view you and, and think that, oh, you are superior? Is that why you're borrowing money? If that's why you're borrowing, borrowing money, you are never going to build wealth. Is that why you're borrowing money? Or are you borrowing money to get an education? Are you borrowing money to acquire more skills? Are you borrowing money to start a business? Are you borrowing money to make more money? Why are you borrowing money? Because the borrowing itself, the debt itself does not matter. If you can borrow and use it in such a way that it makes you money enough to pay down the debt and you keep making money in perpetuity, friends, I would, I mean, I would borrow for the rest of my life. So stop looking at debt the way that society has told you to look at debt because the rich and super wealthy, they are not running away from debt. They are borrowing money at low interest rates to pursue their dreams, to pursue business endeavors. Meanwhile, black and brown people are still at the starting line. So friends, I've poured my heart out because this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I'm sick and tired. I am sick and tired of the fact that some people in society think that they can keep the truth away from us. You know, I read a quote once. It says that if you want to hide things from, from a majority of people, you want to keep that information in a book. That's what it says. It says if you want to hide the best information from people, keep the information in a book because most people don't read. Most people don't educate themselves. As a person of color, we will gladly spend money in bars, in clubs. We will travel back to our hometown, Ghana. We would pay $1,500 for tickets. We will do all of these things. But when it comes to investing in our education, when it comes in acquiring knowledge, we become stingy. And you wonder why you're not building any wealth. You would gladly go buy a car. You would gladly go to Ibiza. Oh my gosh, as I said Ibiza, my heart and soul even got excited. That is how you know we have been programmed to spend money on things that make other people money versus investing that money in ourselves, in our knowledge, in our education, in breaking free. Things need to change. 
And that change starts with you. What you do today, what you do moving forward is what's going to determine whether we're going to be able to bridge and close this wealth gap. I would really appreciate if you'd hit that little airplane thing, okay? After this live, when I share it to IGTV, hit that airplane thing and then share it to your stories. Let's share it so that more people can watch this. Let's even take the IGTV link of this video and begin to distribute it in WhatsApp, WhatsApp groups. We need to share it so that people know the truth. So let's see, a couple of questions are coming in. So first question is, what is the first money move that you recommend to get started? So the way that I like to think about money is that every person, okay, every person should be doing three things. Every person, whenever you make money, a portion of that money should be saved. Another portion of that money should go towards paying down debt. And another portion of that money needs to be invested to build wealth and legacy. So if you, if you get an income, any amount of money that you get, a portion of it should be saved. A portion of it should be going towards paying down debt. And a portion of it should go towards building yourself generational wealth. If you do this, it means that while you are saving, you are taking care of the present. Anything that happens in the present. When you are paying down debt. You're taking care of the past, right? Past expenses. You are paying them down so you are eventually debt-free. When you are investing, you are taking care of the future. Many people are just focused on saving and they are focused on paying down debt, but they aren't securing the future. This is why the first move you need to make is to save, pay down debt, and invest and you want to do through all three of these simultaneously if you had 50k saved up what would be the first move friends so i said that there are three investments that every individual needs to have retirement accounts through your employer investment funds and stocks if i had fifty thousand dollars i would personally i would split it in half I'll put half of it in investment funds and I'll put half of it in stocks. But the reason I would do this is because I know how to invest. I, I understand how investing works. If you don't understand how to invest, I would highly suggest you sign up for a one-on-one -on -one private tutoring with me. Okay, Pay that money to educate yourself and then go off and invest that 50K with confidence. So another way I should answer the question is, if you had 50K, invest in your knowledge, then you take that 50K and then you invest it within the right vehicles. If life insurance is for a period of time and I'm still alive by the end of the term, won't my investments be, won't my investments be lost? Ikea, very, very good question because I want to explain this so you understand. This is very, very important. You all pay very close attention to this. 
there are two types of life insurance. There's permanent life insurance. That's the life insurance that has cash value. They say you can borrow against it and all of that. And then there's term life insurance, which, which is temporary life insurance. So permanent life insurance lasts you your entire life. But guess what? If you pay for permanent life insurance for 40 years and you get to age 70 or 75 and you miss one payment, <laughs> you miss one payment and you're not able to catch up and you start missing a ton of payments and the value in your insurance policy gets used. Friends, it doesn't matter that you paid for your life insurance for 40 years. It is all gone, okay? That aside, permanent life insurance policy costs you 10 times more money for life insurance. So a $1 million policy for whole life and permanent life insurance is $500 a month. And over time, that amount can increase. Can you imagine paying 500 a month and then you, you retire and then they are asking for 800 or 1,000? And if you don't pay the 800 or 1,000, they can just close your policy. Term life insurance, let me explain why term life insurance is key. Term life insurance allows you to buy time to build wealth. Let me repeat it again. Term life insurance allows you to buy time to build wealth. So there's a 30-year term. What that means is that you're going to pay, let's say, $50 for a million-dollar policy for 30 years. Or you're going to pay $30 for a half-a-million-dollar term policy for 30 years. So while you are paying the $30... While you are paying the $50, you have to be using the remaining amount of money that you get to keep. You have to be using it to build wealth because you have 30 years before that policy drops. So it's term life insurance because you are securing 30 years to build wealth so that when that policy drops off, you are going to have millions of dollars in investments. You should not need life insurance. That is the secret behind life insurance. And I hope that explains it for you. Does term life insurance rates change along the way? It does not change. And Doc, I noticed you said it changes as you get older. It does not change. It is locked for 30 years. If you buy a 30-year term, it's locked. If you're paying $30, it's, it's $30 forever. If you're paying $50, it's $50 for 30 years. It is fixed. It's locked. And that is once again why term life insurance is significantly better than permanent life insurance. Because with permanent life insurance, the rate can change. And if you don't pay it, they cancel the policy after they have depleted all of the money in your cash value. It bothers me when a lot of individuals promote life insurance as a way to build wealth. And when I say as a way to build wealth, what I mean by this is life insurance 
is not, it's not a wealth building tool. It's a wealth protection tool. So that if something happens to you, wealth can be passed on to the next generation. It doesn't build you wealth. It just allows you to create wealth for the next generation. Friends, we need to understand how money works. We need to educate ourselves. The people who are selling these life insurance policies, the reason they do so is because 95% of the money that you pay the first year, all of that money goes to them in commission fees. Can you imagine? A person takes their hard-earned $10,000. All of that, 90 to 95% of that $10,000 goes to the insurance agent in commission fees. That is why that person is selling you that policy. They can tell you they are giving you term life, but then they will reset your policy every five years. This is something that someone did to me, and that person was actually a friend. They sent me a policy for term life, and it showed that it was increasing. It would go from like $50 to $70 to $80, and I thought it was, it was normal. Little did I know that that person had created the policy in such a way that it resets. It's like every five years, it's like I'm applying for life insurance again. Because that person makes money, even with the term life. So you know what? I am not, if an individual doesn't give you a sheet that shows that your term life policy payments are the same. Once again, term life. If it's not the same for 30 years or 20 years, don't go with them. You can Google term life. You can go to policygenius.com. You can go to getethos.com. You can check out Ladder. There are so many ways by which you can insure your family. It seems I have 10 seconds left. It was just such an honor.